we got back to the room, I remember him rather seriously looking at me and saying, you know, Rich, I'm glad, I'm glad that you lost tonight. And she slid it across and had the number underlined at the bottom. And that was it. That's all we got left. I might have asked her two, three times. I don't even understand why did you stay with him? Hey, everyone, I'm Sujin Pak, and welcome to Open Account, where we take an unconventional and honest approach to conversations about money. When Ankwa Bank approached me about doing this podcast, it made sense that a bank with a history of connecting money to human potential would want to have a different approach to talking about it. Money is often a taboo subject for a lot of us, but we also know that telling stories of what happens with money when it's not in the bank is sometimes the best way to understand how it matters in our lives. And that's where we begin. So join us. This is Open Account. Open Account is created by Umpqua Bank and produced in collaboration with Slate Group Studios. Everyone and every family has secrets, but it seems almost nothing can bring up more shame, confusion, and fear than those secrets we keep around the topic of money. It is really hard to get ourselves to open up about the risks we've taken and the mistakes we've made, especially if those decisions are ultimately hurting us and the people we love. In this episode, three siblings from a small town in the Pacific Northwest are dealing with a family secret about money that began in childhood and was only revealed to them recently as adults. They're asking us not to reveal their real names or the town they're from because of the sensitive nature of the conversation and because it's still very much ongoing for them. They've never actually sat down together like this to talk about it. It's a raw interview as they relive the experience and sift through the memories, piecing the fragments together for the first time. Here's their story. Hi, guys. Thank you, family, for coming and joining this conversation. So I want to go around and have you guys introduce yourselves first. I'm Angie. I'm the oldest of three. And I'm Rich. And I'm the middle child. And I'm Anthony. I'm the youngest. And you guys are all siblings, and you're all uh, in business together, correct? Yes. We own a a bar, a bar and restaurant in a small town. Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell me without getting into specifics and names, just sort of about this town and what it was like growing up there. Well, I'd say it's a population of about 15,000. Oh, small. Uh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, the largest employer at the time the business was purchased was um, a factory that was located right across the street from the place. Um, but today it's changed. Like a lot of small towns that size, um, most of the people that live in the town no longer work at that factory that's since closed. I imagine a bar in a small town is kind of where everybody sort of meets and gathers, and it can be what the heart of a community, right? Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's correct, and it's um, you know, it, and really, Dad made it into more than it was when he took it on. Um, it was struggling when he took it on, and it was a value at the price they picked it up for. And what year was that? Uh, Nineteen seventy-nine. So he bought this bar in 1979 um, and really built it into something. It says a little bit about who he is to sort of take, you know, a small mm-hmm. thing and and grow it into something big, but also had this yearning to strike out on his own. But without putting words in your guys' mouth, what was your dad like? He was certainly a risk taker. Uh, he brought a lot of energy. Everybody liked him. Everybody wanted to be around him. So it was natural fit for him to 
be in a place where people wanted to gather. Absolutely. He he liked he liked action. Yeah. Yeah. He liked he liked to go out. Uh, you know, when he was younger, he liked to go out dancing. Um, but it was always about the nightlife. In fact, that's what my mom said drew her to him was that he was fun to be around. And yeah, the community really really embraced him and they liked to be liked to be in his bar. So what was your mom like? She's not as social. <laughs> she likes to stay home. She grew up on a farm, only child. I think she's most comfortable in a quiet place, but loves to be surrounded by family. And she's very, very smart, well-read. So she's the book smarts. Dad was the street smarts. Dad used to always say what a great team they made because mom was so meticulous in doing the book work for the business. And dad was, um, you know, he was a promoter. And, uh, and a hustler, and he got people in into the place. Did you spend a lot of time at the bar? I mean, never. you never. We spent. I remember we spent the first Christmas because I remember in November he, they came home. Yeah, I think that first oh. Christmas was a chance to show the place off to mm-hmm. um, extended know, family. The extended family. Yeah. yeah, and so we were out there a few a few times, but it wasn't a regular thing. It wasn't mm-hmm. something we hung around. No, no. Or were really involved with. There was sort of a, a separation, and I think, I think Dad sort of liked it that way. He was in the Marine Corps, mm. so that informed a lot of sort of his work ethic, and there's a right way to do something, you know, and that's the way it needs to be done. And you saw that stamped all over the business. Everything was orderly. Everything was neat. Everything was clean. But, but it was still a bar. I mean, it's really a bar, and... Back then, I think there was also clientele there, that especially as a girl, he didn't want us around. My dad was very adamant about that, and I think that going to a small town in a bar-type setting was an environment that um, didn't promote what he had hoped for us. But he was a hard worker. I remember him teaching us, right, if there's nothing to do when you're working, pick up a broom, get to work. You need to be working and making yourself useful. But we weren't encouraged. We weren't encouraged. We were never offered a job out there that I know Mm-mm. of. Mm-mm. You guys either? Yeah, never. So the bar um, supported you, your family financially? Like, did it do well? What was money like in relationship to this, this new business? I'd say the early days were sort of hard. Mm-hmm. I remember a lot of breakfast for dinner. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, but it, it gained traction pretty quickly. It was doing pretty well, well enough, right? It was feeding you well, guys. Well, and a nurse. We had a your mother mom was a nurse. She yeah. worked yeah, yeah, part-time. Mom's a child of the Depression, only child of the Depression on a farm. And um, she grew up in that. So she's very frugal. She is not concerned about, you know, living like a pauper, <laughs> right? She's okay with that. Um Dad, on the other hand, he liked to have cash in his pocket. It's not unheard of for him to pull out his, you know, money and you'd see a $100 bill and our eyes would just light up. There's a $100 bill in there. That was amazing. So he always, he always had money and he always wanted to spend it. If he wanted something, he was going to go out and buy it. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say we never really went without. We, you know, it wasn't a food stamp type situation or anything like that, but there were no extravagant vacations. So we did okay. We didn't do great. So something happens in 2007 that changes everything. Um, maybe, Anthony, you probably want to pick up the story here. Yeah, leading up to that, I'd bought a house in 1999, and I owed my 
parents some money uh, for the down payment on it. And it was always the, the plan, always the deal. So I was in a position to pay this off. And I went out to lunch with my dad. He had called me and, and uh, asked if he could borrow some money. Uh, I didn't think anything of it. You know, he had some, it might even been a plumbing problem now that I think about it. But anyway, we went out to lunch and I gave him, gave him $20,000, $22,000, whatever it was. But it was about half of what I owed. I want to say within a couple of weeks, I got a phone call from my mom because uh, my dad had asked for some more. And she said, and I had asked her, you know, he's calling again. Uh, is this normal? What's happening out at the business? I hadn't really kept all that close of contact. And uh, she said, don't give him any more. Don't, don't give him any more. And at that point, I knew something, was, something wasn't quite right. And I said, that's fine. I won't give him the rest. And she said, bring it to me. And I remember driving over there, something going on. I had the check. I picked her up. And uh, it's a short drive to where we were going to eat. And she just kept saying she's in a funk. Just feels like she's in a funk. Just in a funk. So here we are. We're sitting down. We're eating. She's got a little uh, spiral binder and on probably three, four pages, all meticulously laid out in pencil. Uh, and she slid it across and had the number underlined at the bottom. I may be a few thousand off. I, it could have been hundreds, but I, I, my memory says about $3,000. And this is it. It's all we got left. So when she slid that number to you in that notebook, $3,000, what, what did that say? What, $3,000? Well, that was my question. That's the, yeah. the, the look on your face now with your mouth open. That's exactly what I did. I just, my jaw hit the table. I said, I don't understand what you're showing me. It's just your bank account, and this is the 3000 but everything. She has everything. The house is mortgaged. The tavern doesn't have anything left in it. The I've managed to save the farm, but this is all I've got left. We have nothing. She said, it's your father. She said, uh, he's a gambler. She said, I figure conservatively over the years that we've been together, it's right around $4 million, which I I guess you run the math. It's what, 250 a day, 200 bucks. I don't know what it was. Um, and then she just told, just I just kept asking questions, like how long, uh, ever since they've met. He's been, he's had this problem and she's covered it up and, um, we, we have had lunch a couple hours, three hours, um, but I learned a lot of individual like, things from my childhood started to make more sense. Do you remember the physical sensation or the emotion that is running through your body? Uh, yes, I do. I thought, this is no problem. We can fix this. I, I, didn't, I had no idea what the gambling disease, uh, how strong it is how addictive it is, uh, no clue. So at this point, I'm thinking, oh, we can solve this. And I think that's where I was too. It's like the business throws off some cash. You know, all we need to do is stabilize this, you know, (laughs) wrecking ball that's running through the place. And then we can, you know, we can gain control of the the money and the funds and um, prove a little harder. Yeah. And, and, start to come back and make a comeback and bounce back from this. But boy, was that more difficult than we thought. But never occurred to you, wait, does my dad have a gambling problem? No. In fact, you asked Anthony what his reaction was. And I don't think the gamble, the fact that dad gambled was a shock. We remember going places with dad where he would, you know, throw money around. And when I turned 21, dad had taken me into the casino and we were 
playing around and gambling and whatnot, um, sort of next to each other playing blackjack. But um, but I had lost um, pretty heavy. And when we got back to the room, I remember him rather seriously looking at me and saying, "You know, Rich, I'm glad I'm glad that you lost tonight." Um, and I think what he was trying to say at the time was that um, he wanted me to learn a lesson and maybe not go down the same path he has. So it wasn't a shock that he was a gambler, but then what was the shock? I'd that there was no money. Yeah. I mean, I'm the youngest child. Of course, it's your parents. Well, they're not coming to you to ask you for money. That can't happen. Can you guys tell me that first conversation you three all had together about what was going on? Well, I'm not sure who I, who I told first, but I told them separately because Angie was out of state and Rich and I, we just lived a few houses away. So I might even just drove up to your house mm -hmm. and told you in person. It's really funny that I don't exactly remember where that kind of came. It almost seems like it came in, in drips, like, okay, this is going on. There's not as much money as I thought. Then I was like, wow, there's really not as much money as I thought. Whoa. This is really bad. My initial reaction was utter shock. I think when my husband got home from work, I was in tears because I couldn't believe it. And I was hysterical. That had been going on for 40 years. And as you're having this conversation with your mom, she must have broken down at some point during this conversation with you. or You know, she's that? tough as nails. Yeah. Tough as nails. To and, keep um, a secret this yeah. long. Yeah, might be here for my first time. There was one that mom said, she tells about the time where uh, Angie and I were young and she had us both, you know, carrying in her arms um, into the bank to make a withdrawal so that she could meet somebody there in the parking lot. I mean, mom said that she just remembered the guy was there. And it just looked like a scene out of the movie, uh, out of a movie where he's in some sort of ruffled tuxedo shirt, you know. Um, he's obviously been up all night, and he's out front of a Cadillac, and he's waiting for her to deliver $3,000 to him. Um, otherwise, you know, Dad can't get out of the poker game or wherever he is. Um, and Mom went into the bank, and the teller asked Mom if she was okay, and she said she was. Um, and she walked out in the parking lot and gave the person the money. When I envision that of, like, what a young mom with two kids, like, exactly what is going through her you know, mind as she's withdrawing cash. Well, and I think that kind of hits on the head on why she feels the way she does now um, is a lifetime of enabling. And I think it's hard for her to look past that on herself, even though it isn't her fault. I mean, she's always had a calendar from the church that she attended. She gets it annually. Uh, she takes the old one down, puts the new one up, and writes all her birthdays and the annual events in there, and then just writes notes. Uh, and then we'd see these sad faces, sad face. And you just kind of flip through for years, had no idea what the, any, of, any of this stuff meant. Uh, and the sad faces were the day when dad would have no money. Or he wouldn't come home. Or he wouldn't so come home would with it. So she would have to, to lie to her place of employment, because yeah. if he wasn't there, he couldn't, she couldn't leave us at home. And as a nurse... Right? She has to show up for work. So she would have to call in sick, basically lie, because her husband didn't come home and her yeah. kids are underage and they can't be left alone. It wasn't uncommon for dad to go on a run where he'd be gone for a couple of days gambling. Mm -mm. Yeah. And she still has all the calendars. Your mom 
I just this thought occurred to me. So your mom, you know, you can go through her calendars today and see all the sad faces. Why did she catalog that, you think? I don't know. I've never asked her. But it really was a diary. I mean, the calendar would hang there for everybody to see. So I think the face was just a code for herself. Um, you know, and there's notes. I've looked at them. She's a nurse. You know, recently. I mean, you could say she's a scientist by that. I mean, she tracks everything. Probably wants to see if she can find a pattern. She still has them, though. I mean, all the calendars. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. And that's probably for us. Yeah, but you we're can having go, a bonfire yeah. with those. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, there's some fun things on yeah. there, too. Yeah. All our sports games and recitals, and, and it is a family history, good or bad, I guess. <laughs> okay, so I want to get into some of the specifics on how he was able to do this for so long. What was his system or the series of things that he had in place to fund this gambling habit for so long? Well, one of mom's biggest concern when they came up with the idea to buy the tavern is that he would be able to push no sale on the cash register and there would be the money. And um, so I would imagine that in the early days, right, it was smaller amounts. And then the more money that's laying around you have access to, the easier it is just to grab a pile and hope that you're going to come back with with double. You can't discount the fact that he could gamble at his own establishment, too. So, you know, and that's nothing you have to pay for if you're buying, for example, lottery tickets or keno tickets or something like that that is nothing more than the employee pushing a button and you getting some tickets for play. You know, that bill's not going to come till later in the later in the week. Um, There's a certain amount of money that had to be on hand for both the day shift and the night shift to pay the gambling winners that were visiting the business. And sometimes he would just go in and take the money from the person's extra stash of money that needed to be on hand. I don't think it's an uncommon story in the world of gamblers and the treatment of a gambling addiction that the problem gets progressively worse over time. And part of that, I think, is the gambler thinking he can fix everything by just betting bigger and having a bigger or bigger score. What was your father gambling on? What games, what was he spending the money on? He was I don't he think was there's more, anything excluded. There wasn't Cards, anything excluded, but he was, from the gambling side, and what I remember from the addiction, he was more adrenaline rather I was than say the same thing. and dopamine. We learned that gamblers... Uh, the treatment center that they generally fall into two categories, an action gambler or what they call an escape gambler. An escape gambler might be somebody that wants to go sit in front of a machine for hours and lose track of time and just escape from the world and play. An action gambler craves the adrenaline rush of having money on the line in a craps game or a poker, poker game. You got him to go to Gamblers Anonymous at some point. We kind of ambushed him on that the first time. He didn't see that coming. We all walked in, said, yeah. we're going to lunch. Well, when he saw me, he's like, oh, and Angie's here too. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. And we talked to him about treatment, and uh, he had all kinds of excuses to why that wasn't going to work. And he had apparently tried treatment before, according to mom, even in a, another town an hour away. Essentially, I was going with him every week. What did he say when in the, the, the first session you guys went to, they had some discussion and they they sort of talked about what gambling had turned them into or what it had done to their life and dad had some I don't interesting remember. things because I remember you, what you told me Anthony you said that dad said that it it made him into a liar oh yeah that was his answer 
when which they happens said, to be true. Which <laughs> turned me into a liar. That's what yeah. he said. They totally did. And and to to a man who always told me and us, mm-hmm. your word is all you have. Yeah. You can't believe anybody. What's, what's the point? Why even talk to him? Yeah, and he said that. I mean, but that's that's the disease. Yeah, you is. can be openly remorseful. You can be genuinely yes. remorseful, and then have it take hold of you. Yeah. Twenty four hours later. And the drug is in their system. So it's not that they have to avoid nicotine or avoid alcohol. It's in the body, and it's they claim that's national whatever. I don't remember what where it was, but um, they claim it's the toughest addiction to overcome, the toughest one. Because there is there's no overdose. Alcohol you pass out, drugs you pass out, or your heart stops. Yeah, money's until you run out. It won't stop. What was the year or around the time frame when you guys all decided, okay, we're going to take over the business? Like we need to really take control of all of the finances as siblings. October 2008, but I'd been working with Dad out there since the beginning of 08. And it was, yes, I'll do it, but now we're going to do some of my rules. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to go out there. We're all going to meet with the entire staff, and you're going to confess that you have this problem, and you're going to give them instructions that we now control the money. Um, and we had that meeting and foolishly oh, thought that that would yeah, but, change yeah. some behavior and it didn't. There were a few episodes when Anthony and I were out making deposits or trying to wrest control of the money away from dad. He would get angry, uh, scheming. Um, it was always a game. Tried to get one step it ahead of It was cat and mouse. Cat and mouse. Just when mouse. you think you had it all buttoned up. I mean, everything he did was to undermine us. I mean, nothing could be run with him in it, although we thought we could do it. We have to remember, too, though, that the employees still worked for him. We're not owners at this point. So they answered to him. And if he said, you know, taking $1,000, they're not going to say no. <laughs> and, well, think, the, and that was part of his scheme. I mean, because when we well, confronted I, dad and said, you're going to treatment and we're going to be involved. And I think it was a hit on you, Anthony, for more money. Um, from you personally, it's uncomfortable. And, you know, and in the process, I'd say a lot of it too. You, I mean, you feel like you lost your dad. Um, I mean, some of the things that, that I learned as I, that I said, I went along, um, but I still don't know if they've been ironed out. I mean, and who he's told, um, but I was coming out there in a suit and I remember, I think you might've shared with me that they originally thought I was strong arm and had taken it over. You know, he wasn't going to sign it. It's like, this is, we got to sign it, Dad. I mean, this is kind of part of the agreement. We've got to do this thing. Well, I'm not doing it. Well, I'm losing, I'm losing this, that, and the other. I'm sorry. You know, this is the way it's going to be. Well, I'm not. F this. And I'm losing control. And there's where I got personal. I said, can you talk about control? So you think Mom had control of the 40 grand? You just blew down the mm-hmm. toilet? And that, that was it. When Dad said that he he was losing control, I don't think his frustration was about the business going to us. I think it was about having access to money to gamble with. I think he'd give the shirt off his back for the family and all the rest of it. He just wanted to play. He wanted to have enough money to play. And by signing that, he wasn't going to have access to enough money to do that. So around 2008 is when you guys started to get really involved in the day-to-day of the business and trying to... These two, because they were trying to stop the bleeding, so to speak. But... Once he was diagnosed. Diagnosed with what? Okay, so it was in 2007 that uh, 
Anthony first had the meeting with mom and learned um, what that the family, everything was gone. And then in 2008, in October actually of 2008, I think he just called one or two of us, but we all three showed up and he very, very, very tearfully read some notes that he had um, of his diagnosis and how he learned what the symptoms were and how he learned about it. Um, it was cancer, yeah. It was cancer, and it had metastasized. So um, he had an opportunity. He, he tried to fight. He asked to fight. The doctors looked him in the eye and said, what do you want to do? And he put up two fists like he was a boxer, and he wanted to fight, and he gave it. He gave it his best shot, but it wasn't but uh, nine months, eight, ten months. Did you guys consider just letting it go at that point? No. No, never did. Why not? When I was out there every day, we had a better handle on things and a better control of things. But did we ever think about selling really? Never it didn't, thought I, I didn't think about it. Uh-huh. We Even were, my husband said, you got to find a way to hang on to that. Those are his exact words to me. Because I was had to have an income stream for mom too. And have dad save face. That was a big yeah, thing. That too. was part of it too. So you guys, when you get this diagnosis and face the end of his life is when I suppose ironically, or at that point you realize, okay, we can actually now take this business back. I mean, we could do the broad strokes of it, but he was always going to beat us if we didn't figure out what was coming in, what was going out, and how it was all going to work. And we never could get it until literally he, w- he had passed away. So none of you guys had ever worked together or run a business together. What has been that process of teaching yourselves as siblings, as business owners? Well, we'd all had had other jobs and had been in a business environment, maybe not, well, definitely not this particular one, but we'd all seen how businesses function and what needs to happen on a day-to-day basis. So it's a matter of learning the that particular business. And then, I, don't, I guess I shouldn't speak for all of us, but from my position, we've always had open communication. Um, and again, I'm going to credit my mom for that. But um, I did ask her once why, because I in hindsight, I'm just wondering what it did to her self-esteem. And I asked her, I said, I, don't, I might have asked her two, three times. I don't even understand why did you stay with him? Why did you stay there? And she'd say, because I loved him. But I have to give her credit because she did save the bar. And we wouldn't have it had she walked out. It would have been gone for sure. Now, as you're looking back at some of these memories, what are kind of some of the range of emotions that you guys have had over the years well, I'm all been in tears, so obviously yeah. it's still very emotional. To say I was never angry is not true. I think I was mostly emotional and disappointed, and some of it's just because I'm the girl, yeah. <laughs> right? Daddy was the superhero. So that part's hard, but um, mm. there was anger in there too because I knew he hurt her. I will say that when he was dying, because he got sick, and when he was dying, his he told us we needed to take care of her. And so he did have a, still had a good spirit about all of that, but... I hurt. I think hurt's the biggest one for me. Yeah. And you mentioned in there um, something I didn't think about, which was just disappointment. Yeah. Um, He never had a problem telling people he had cancer, but he never once told anybody. And I think that mental health in this country would improve dramatically if we could remove the stigma and could openly communicate, you know, with one another about it and get people help. I think one of the initial problems that I had was uh, seeing dad as vulnerable at all in any way. I mean, right? 
Anthony, don't you kind of feel that way? Yeah. Yeah, that was hard. I'm like you, Angie, probably more hurt in a lot of ways. Um, Rich, we kind of, it was me out there probably for the first year. Um, And then once Dad got sick, uh, Rich was out there. So I I had Dad on a lot of strange encounters and I probably wish I never would have heard any of this. I'd be fine if I, if none of it ever would have came to me. Um, but I was forced to deal with it, and and I know about it now, and now I just try to plow forward. So, how's your mom in all of this? I think she's in a better place because you have to remember she wasn't getting a regular paycheck. She was asked to manage a household on meager amount of money that was left over after everything else was paid. And so now she has a much more consistent income, and I think that gives her some comfort. She's got to feel good now knowing that she put a lot of effort into it. The business does make money. Her name was on it, mm-hmm. and look what it's doing now. And people Once are removed, a, a big, And people understand that. She she made it work. She can make it work. Well, she's proud of that. She's she proud has that to we be still because have it. over the, she, however many years she finally got the right manager. Yeah, she sacrificed and that's rich. a lot. <laughs> now, yeah. Are you guys now looking at this, seeing this long history and leading up to this? Are you guys proud of what you've been able to accomplish? Absolutely. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't speak for you because yeah, you're out there you're every out day. There you may be exhausted, yeah. but. <laughs> no, I think I'm proud, but I'm I'm proud of Dad too. Uh, you know, we made sure that um, that there's a picture on the wall. People remember what he did, and um, you know, there's yeah, there's plenty of ways that he's remembered and honored. And I I imagine you know that you not only you know saved a business and a bar, but like you said, there's a community of people that go there and work there and that have been a part of this. And they must feel a sense of, of I don't know, relief or, or part of this, right? We closed the bar down when my dad passed for one night. And had yeah, a private, half a day. Half yeah. a day. It was a private, private party, private gathering. And you couldn't get a parking spot. You couldn't even open the door to get in. It was... Yeah, that many people came out packed. to celebrate his life, yeah. Do people tell you stories about your dad at the bar? All the time. I, he can make us laugh, that's for sure. I think after the number of years, we've moved on to celebrating more of who dad was and the happy times and less about remembering and dwelling on things that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And so I guess time is healing that. Um, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, Dad built a great a great thing out there, and he had a gambling problem, and there were significant challenges. But you know, maybe the real story is that you know, Mom, after forty years, managed to save you know the business, the house, her property, everything, um, and everything for for us. And it's, that's going to put five, maybe six grandkids through college. Yeah. In conversations about money, addiction is something that rarely gets addressed. I think we all have clear pictures of other kinds of addictions, but with money, it almost seems like we could just stop, control ourselves. 
figure out a better money management system. But this addiction is a disease. Like many mental illnesses, it's a compulsion, often pathological, which means you can't stop, even when there's a strong desire to stop, and even when there are dire, harmful consequences to your actions. Listening to Angie, Rich, and Anthony, we hear the pain in their voices. It's a grieving process for them still. It's a loss of not only this charismatic father figure, but of their innocence. Angie said the unfolding of her father's secret was almost as painful as losing him physically, because she had to let go of almost everything she knew about him, their childhood, and who she thought he was. How do you make sense of all that loss on top of the financial ones? But stories like this are good to hear, because they remind us that we don't have to be defined by our relationship to money. We can instead be defined by how we prevail, how we build something better, more honest and true. They saved the family business. They are stronger today for all of this and closer as a family than ever before. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, catch up on past episodes and stay tuned for a lot more. And we want to know what you think. You can be part of this conversation by giving us your feedback or telling us your story at made to grow slash open account or on social media. We're at Umqua Bank on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.